You're listening to Heart Sounds, TCTMD's award-winning podcast hosted by Shelley Wood. Hello and welcome to Heart Sounds for November 2022. This is the podcast where I try to recap some of the top news in cardiology over the past few weeks. This month, the TCTMD news team was busy with coverage of the AHA meeting in Chicago, while also picking up some great stories from Viva, Vith, and London Valves. For this month's podcast, I am going to zero in on the AHA 2022 scientific sessions. These were held in person again for the first time since 2019. And a few weeks after the conference wrapped up, I reached out to the 2022 program chair, Manesh Patel, who is also cardiology chief and co-director of the Duke Heart Centre, to hear from him about some of the key takeaways from this year's AHA sessions. Let's jump in. I was on site at AHA. It was so great to be back in Chicago after quite a few years absence. But Dr. Patel, let's hear some highlights from you. Do you want to start with what some hotline trials or what were your major takeaways? Well, thanks so much for having me. And I guess the American Heart Association Scientific Sessions, you know, first time in person from 2019. So for us, at least at the scientific sessions, you know, we obviously had the COVID years and this was the first in person and virtual and people can still see some of it uh, on demand. So we were excited to be in person. I think We've all learned at these meetings, one of the highlights is just getting to see people, young investigators, colleagues, and friends. Um, but but yeah, you know, these scientific sessions are about the science. So maybe I'll start about the science and then we can talk about some of the other highlights. You know, we were blessed this year to have, I think like 180 submissions. We had nine late-breaking scientific sessions and nine featured science sessions. So lots of randomized trials. And for the first time also, thankfully, not just COVID research, you know, a variety yeah. of other things that I think cardiologists care about. So I think that was important. Um, and in those nine late breaking science sessions, you know, it was really the other thing about the AHA that I think hopefully people get when they are seeing these is it's just the breadth of stuff you get to see across one big tent. The opening first light breaker had, you know, three large trials that were randomized that we thought would be everyday questions. Transform was randomized about, you know, torsamide versus furosemide and heart failure. DCP was chlorothalidone versus hydrochlorothiazide over 10,000 patients. That's a hypertension question that I think a lot of people would probably work with. And prominent was a pemfibrate, right? Like a fibrate in people who have high triglycerides. So you have what I'll call usual AHA types of questions. And then the next day you have, you know, 12 patients with amyloid cardiomyopathy getting Casper gene editing. <laughs> right. So you go from something like that to, to something that futuristic, remembering 12 years ago, you know, Jeffrey Doudna describes Casper Cas, uh, CRISPR-Cas9. And so now you, you have you have something that might be really effective and we'll have to do phase three studies to see how it works and when do you intervene, but really thoughtful. And and at the same time, we have a thousand patient, a uh, thousand infant uh, study looking at stress to steroids and cardiac surgery. So, you know, we have a huge spectrum. I, I think the other highlights were clearly around some of the other trials, you know, best CLI with large randomized trial of endo versus surgical for critical limb ischemia. Um, really interesting and important study. I think a lot of people are going to be thinking about is strong heart failure study about getting people to GDMT really fast versus versus usual care and showing significant reductions in in, in clinical events in those patients. Mm. So um, you know, I think and then new new therapies for LP little A and other sort of preventive yeah. therapies people will see. So I I think if you were to say broadly, there's a lot of late breaking trials. Um, I think the ones I've highlighted are just some of them. But for me, I think the ability to see that science and understand that through COVID, people were able to still conduct 
highly meaningful research that answers questions. We've gotten a little bit more pragmatic. We're, we've figured out other ways to do these studies. So I think that's been really exciting. Yeah. I also um, find when I go to AHA, I end up thinking, oh, that is such an AHA type trial. Like, because there are certain ones that I've been doing this long enough that that must get submitted preferentially to the American Heart Association. And, and I too really appreciate that I go to that meeting and do end up being reminded of all the other areas in cardiology that maybe don't get major clinical trials or even smaller clinical trials that regularly. I'll think of like, for example, the mindfulness, there was a, a study yeah. looked at that. And, you know, there's no other meeting that's probably going to present a trial looking at the impact of a sort of mindfulness practice on yeah. cardiac yeah. endpoints. I, I so. Yeah, sorry to interrupt. I think the, um, the mindfulness was, you know, we were interesting because we had so many RCTs in the group just to remind people how we do it. We, we had 180 submissions, 50 randomized trials. We have an international group blindly reviewing these. And then we get the two scores from everyone. And then we get in a room and sort of look through those. And the other thing you saw at AHA this year was a lot of really exciting hypertension research. I'll call it from, we sort of called it, you know, disruptive things like mindfulness to village doctor outcome trial that we showed before. And now we're seeing the outcome to a poly pill strategy to other things we can do in community health centers, potentially uh, federally accredited places to really get to people's blood pressure to three new therapies, pills for resistant hypertension and outcome trials from, you know, spiral. So, you know, uh, from a cardiovascular perspective, I talked a lot about the spectrum, but you're right. Blood pressure management, uh, cholesterol, lipids. Uh, those are very usual AHA topics. Um, I would say we had a randomized trial with ECMO. We had, yeah. right, we had a study with bivalrudin, unfractionated heparin, a large study that Dr. Stone presented. We have uh, a collaboration with TCT. We're excited to have, you know, live cases and, and sort of a relationship there that's uh, building. So I think those have been pretty exciting too, because I think, Again, it's how how wide the HA can be, but sometimes for individuals, finding your place can be complicated. So one of the other things we do at the sessions is we're trying to get clearer about where you can find those sorts of tracks that might interest you. Yeah, I'll ask you about a few others because um, one, it was a smaller study, but one of the ones that I, it's something I've written about in the past, but that was sport looking at these supplements um, as sort of in lieu of statins and that type of thing. Right after I got home from AHA, the FDA sent out one of, you know, a schwack of recalls for different supplements found to be making claims. And I just thought it was so timely, but how, you know, that was a small study, but pretty decisive results. How big of a problem is that, that your patients are still taking supplements rather than their statin? Yeah. So just to remind everybody about the sports study, that was, it was a randomized trial looking at five milligrams of resuvastatin versus placebo versus a variety of supplements that included like turmeric, uh, red rice yeast or red yeast rice and, yeah. um, you know, garlic and others. And, and, and uh, it's really interesting study out of some investigators at a Cleveland clinic. And they looked at those individuals and then they looked at their LDL drop after I think it was like six to eight weeks. And they showed that, you know, as you can imagine, there was about a 30% drop with resuvastatin, but the other supplements had no difference compared to placebo on LDL level. Now, some would say, well, they work in other mechanisms, and that might be true. I'm not suggesting I, I know that because it wasn't an outcome study, but we know, at least in cardiovascular medicine, that majority of things that reduce cardiovascular events associated with, let's say, uh, plaque seem to play some role on LDL. So if you were taking those supplements in lieu of taking a statin, this was really powerful because it allows clinicians and patients to have a conversation, people to say that. In fact, I was doing the HA live TV feed after that, and I remember like 
you know, sending out a message to my mom telling her that turmeric doesn't work in lieu of a statin, then she should continue to think about a statin as an important opportunity. But I think really what what it also showed us is why such a diversity of a panel, because that small study without a panel that was different looking at our scores, because there were some people, Amit Carroll, one of my co-chairs was really, he's like, this is going to be important because it's an everyday question in clinic where people ask us that. Yeah. And so I do think the level of rigor that we apply to any therapy, including supplements, has to be there because, you know, it costs money. People are taking that instead of something else. And we want to see that there are um, benefits. You know, I often used to say to my patients, well, I don't have a problem with your supplements. I don't think they're harmful. I'm not sure they're helpful. Yeah. But I think studies like this highlight for us that people are often making trade-offs. So we have to be very careful. You know, what we learned in the in transform for the clinicians, you know, if you're making a trade-off from furosemide to torsemide, it doesn't look like it's making a big difference unless you can really get to the right dose. Maybe you need to be thinking about that. If you were thinking about hydrochlorothiazide versus chlorthalidone, doesn't look like it's really helping you at the same dose. You might need to think about another agent or think about a dose higher. Well, the supplement story is no different. If you're trying to make a trade-off saying, oh, I'm not sure I want to try that because I've heard of some side effects, but I want to do this. Just be sure you understand what that trade-off is. Yeah. Okay, I'll ask you about one more because this is one I covered and I then was quite surprised at how it was received um, on social media and some of the chit chat I heard on site, but that was Iron Man, looking at iron repletion. I think people were really hoping to see a sort of resoundingly positive trial there. Um, and yet it, it missed its, its primary endpoint. Iron repletion did not help, but, and this is a heart failure population, but um, it it is it was interpreted as all pointing in the right direction and, and all that type of thing. And I, I always have a hard time figuring out what to make of that, where the response to me doesn't seem to fit with what I've just seen the results uh, reported as. You know, I think it's interesting. I, I would argue that this, these are probably parts of our biases. Uh, clinicians are good, so they see things and they think they're helping. Um, and I'm an interventionalist, so I, I clearly have biases, so I don't want to throw shade on my heart failure colleagues. But if I went into the meeting, my heart failure colleagues probably would have told me torsamide works and iron works. Yeah. And I left the meeting saying to them, maybe, but now that we've seen Advor, should we be getting the right dose? And if your dose of diuretics not working, should we be thinking about another agent instead of still working on the loop diuretics? Should we be going to another part of the nephron? Iron didn't meet its mark. We could talk about power. We could talk about other things, but it does point towards it. And I think they're encouraging there's another larger study coming. So we will have more information, but it does give you pause if your routine practice today mm -hmm. is to use torsamide or to do iron repletion, then hopefully that's why we do the trials. Just, you know, you can't say don't use the supplements because look, I haven't shown you a difference, but I'm going to use this even though it didn't meet that endpoint. So why we do the science and why we go there is to have this critical conversation. Now, I want to be circumspect here. Right? Remember, there's a lot of biology around some of these areas of agents and then people who think they will work in their larger trials coming. So it won't be the first time that might be you won't see its mark. But I, I think clinically, you should certainly leave the meeting and have some, um, as as we do in intervention, hopefully more and more, humility around what you, it is you think you're doing and why we do the science. Okay, I have a couple more to ask you about. I lied. I, I, did I say Iron Man was the last because I've got to- No, no, it's good. More. I like it. It's, it's exciting. This is part of why we, like we are- Yeah, we are excited about the meeting because there were so many great scientific, not just late breakers and future science, but we had 4,000 abstracts and a lot of poster sessions. So we actually saw a lot of our young colleagues coming back. And, you know, medicine's one of the few places where people still enjoy standing in front of a poster and having people come by and yeah. asking it. That's nice to see again. Okay, well, we have to talk about that. But just, I want to know, are you going to go back to using bivalerudin in the cath lab after Bright 4? 
Yeah, it's a great question, right? And Bright4 would say that there is a there's at least now some uh, pretty strong data with uh, bivalent compared to heparin versus no 2B3A, right? It's sort of the prior history was there was a lot of 2B3A and it was hard to know. Now, I will say in our place, it's probably not going to happen. And that doesn't mean because there isn't a benefit. It's it's just, it's a relative conversation amongst the sort of a practice pattern. But but I applaud the study and think it's important. And then, and then in each case, it's going to be sort of, we've gotten so effective at taking care of patients radially with unfractionated heparin without a lot of thrombotic complications or bleeding that the relative benefits are that. Now, uh, I'm sure uh, investigation of Dr. Stone would say here, but there were a lot of radio patients. They still got a benefit and they were on bivalent. So like everything else, it's going to be probably a review of like sort of what's the cost benefit, the clinical efficacy, and how are we doing right now? Yeah. The event rates in intervention for at least elective. Now, ACS, it's a great conversation that we'll probably talk about in our cath lab. For elective interventions or let's say semi-elective urgent interventions, the event rates are still so low these days. We've gotten really good at delivering an effective therapy that... I'm not suggesting we shouldn't think about it, but it, it's probably what's going to affect our own practice here. Sure. Okay. I focused on the late breakers, but you have hinted at the other things that were going on at the meeting. Any other, if you had to name one other session you were in that you thought was really impactful, that's, that's left a uh, sort of lasting impression on you, what would it be? Again, I'm probably biased, but I think the opening session with the with Dr. Caleb from the FDA, the U.S. Surgeons General, Fausto Pinto from the World Heart Federation, uh, Obviously, Michelle Albert, the AHA president, Jerome Adams, who is the Surgeon General from um, President Trump's time, and then Regina Benjamin from Barack Obama's. First, it was really, I thought, impactful because it was broad and sort of going across a lot of topics from environment to maternal mortality to hypertension to a variety of those things. But as Dr. Kaleff often does, I thought that you know his talk on sort of where we are with U.S. healthcare, where we have to implement the things we know, I thought his slide on... Um, on sort of the Ted Lasso slides, if U.S. healthcare was Ted Lasso, we'd be relegated, sort of really a, a pointful thing. And then his statement that the greatest threat to health, he thinks, is misinformation. He can't prove it, but he thinks that's one of the things we've exported or we've got as an international issue. And that the FDA regulated came in because people could make false claims, but they could just do it locally. Now people can make false claims all over the place through all kinds of media. It was really powerful sitting in a session that was about science to public health, because we're about to go here, three days of late breaking trials, abstracts, breakthrough technology. And then how do you get that information out to your colleagues? And how do you get that information out in a way that it's balanced as you do and others? And so you have both sides of the story and how do you incorporate that? So for me, that was really powerful. And then the, the other big theme throughout it, obviously with the AHA mission, but Michelle Albert's presidential session was just the amount of work we have to do to get to equitable health for people around the world, including uh, in the United States, including areas that don't have um, access to healthcare for a variety of populations. So, you know, those two themes were pretty lasting. A few years ago in the 2019-2020 um, AHA, there was a statement there. You know, there's these moments that you remember. There was a statement there that, you know, your budget is a moral document. What mm -hmm. you put your money behind is what you morally care about. And so I think fundamentally at the HA level, but also for us as we go to scientific sessions, there's a group that's trying to reinvigorate, you know, faculty and physicians and people in practice that have probably burned out or been having hard times thinking about things that get us back to the physician mission or the health mission was really sort of impactful for me. So I, I hope others got that too. 
Yeah. Well, I should mention that the AHA sessions are still available on demand for people that missed out on some of that or whose curiosity has been piqued by what you've been saying just now. But um, for me, I'm quite impressed by your ability to just talk about all of this. It's been a few weeks now, but it still seems to be top of mind. So thank you so much for telling us a bit about it today. Thank you so much for having me. That's it for Heart Sounds this month. You can find in-depth coverage of all the trials and studies we talked about today on TCTMD by clicking on the conference tab at the top of the page. If podcasts are your thing, I noticed that Roxana Moran also did her own audio recap of the AHA meeting on her TCTMD podcast, Rock's Heart Radio. Please do plan to meet me back here next month. December is the one time of year when I turn the microphone on my team of journalists to hear about their favorite stories of the year gone by. We have been hard at work on another special piece of end of year content as well. And without giving too much in the way of details, I'll just say that it's a quiz of sorts, although that doesn't quite do it justice. Check your inbox over the next few weeks for TCTMD's 2022 Cardiology Challenge. All I'll say for now is that if you can crack it, you have a chance to win a platinum membership on TCTMD.com and one lucky person will win complimentary registration to CRF's 2023 TCT meeting. That's all for the November edition of the podcast. Thanks for tuning in to Heart Sounds. Do you love listening to Heart Sounds? Check out all new original content from TCTMD featuring Talking Points with Dr. C. Michael Gibson and Rocks Art Radio with Dr. Roxanne Moran. All new episodes are available on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, and SoundCloud.